Welcome to Nakubo in Brief, a podcast series from the National Association of College and University Business Officers. I'm President and CEO John Walda, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. Our mission with this podcast is to help our listeners better understand the challenges that face the business of higher education. Our hope is that you walk away with a stronger sense of the trends, policies, legislative, and regulatory issues that may impact campuses today and in the future. You can find resources for today's episode, as well as a wide variety of educational tools at www.nakubo.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Nakubo in Brief. Thanks so much for tuning in. My name is Megan Strand, your host, and I'm so pleased to be joined today by Dr. Audrey Bilger, Faculty Director of the Center for Writing and Public Discourse and Professor of Literature at Claremont McKenna College. Welcome, Audrey. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here, Megan. Let's start out by talking about why we asked you to join us on this episode. This past summer, you authored an article in Business Officer Magazine entitled, It's Not Us Versus Them. Can you give us the basic recap of that article and then what inspired you to write it? I spent the last academic year, uh, 2014-15, as an American Council on Education fellow. And during that time, I got to spend um, time at the University of California at Riverside, and they were undergoing a budget redesign process. And I got to sit in on that process and watch as the um, business officer, chief business officer, talked extensively with, with faculty and other members of the community about the budget. And it really struck me that these were powerful conversations. Um, around the same time, I was reading in the Chronicle of Higher Education a piece in which the um, which Allison Valancourt, the Vice President of Human Resources at the University of Arizona in Tucson, um, talked about how um, she was surprised to learn that that faculty didn't realize that there were any budget issues during the height of the recession. Mm. And I think the quote was something like, um, you know, someone came out of a faculty meeting where they'd been talking about the budget saying, it sounds like we have we have some sort of a money problem here. And it just shocked her that that, that that hadn't really come to the level of the faculty. So as a faculty member myself, I thought, well, how, how do faculty members tend to think about the financial picture of their institutions and realize that in general, we don't think that much about it. And that particularly given the challenges that we're all facing in higher ed today, we probably need to be thinking more about these things. Do you think it's the case that people, the faculty members are aware of these issues, but just feel like it's not their responsibility or their um, role to be creatively brainstorming ways to overcome it? Or do you really think it's a, I had no idea there were budget issues? I believe it's a a little of both. Um, Certainly, there would be um, some understanding that that we're in uh, difficult times as as, as far as finances go. But there's such a dividing line between the faculty and and the business officers that they, that if there's any sense that something's gone wrong, they might think of it more as somebody's mismanaging our money with, rather than thinking that this mm. is something that we all need to look at together. And it's that dividing line that I really focused on in my piece, which, which was called It's Not Us Versus Them, which encouraged faculty and business officers to begin to engage in some sort of dialogue. What another another piece of the um, of the puzzle in my putting together this article was having read a, a survey that Inside Higher Ed and Gallup conducted in 2013 that said that um, 
only 4% of business officers considered faculty to be realistic about the challenges facing their institution, mm. and, only, and only 5% indicated that faculty have been supportive of efforts to address the budget problems. And you know, in that in that sense, I think that that it's not that faculty are um, unable to think about about the financial picture. We all have households and manage our budgets. Clearly, it's that somehow we have grown into a model where we expect other people to take care of these issues so that we can get on with our business of teaching and research and um, doing the the sort of higher level issues of the universities and colleges. And is this a topic that you've started to address at Claremont McKenna internally at all? Yeah, I've had a couple of wonderful meetings with with our um, business officers. We have the treasurer's office and uh, had a a great lunch with somebody just a couple of weeks ago in which we talked about what the strategies might be to begin these conversations. And what what's really clear is that we each have, we have a lot of questions for one another, including um, down to questions of when I was department chair, what did it look like for me to be managing the department budget? And what kinds of things might uh, might I have done differently had I realized that there were a, you know, a certain set of constraints that needed to be managed from the business officer's point of view? And then from your perspective, you said you had this meeting and there were lots of questions for one another. But from the business officer perspective, what's your sense of how business officers can better engage with faculty and do so in a more systematic way? I definitely think that having real conversations, what I was, I, one of my ACE fellow colleagues last year, and I talked about this and about the way in which if the the only contact that faculty have with the business officer is when they come and they show the the big charts and um, and tend to go on about um, about the numbers at the, at the very highest level. That's really not going to engage the faculty. So if there are ways of saying. You know, for instance, we ended up talking about enrollment management, and I I said, well, I think that whatever we're doing with our enrollment management isn't necessarily allowing the getting the right balance of students in the classroom. Those are issues that come right down to the ground for faculty members, and we'd be eager to have that conversation. It's sounding like you know people are coming in with very high level, probably very complicated issues, which of course they're dealing with. But any other suggestions to make? themselves and this topic a little bit more accessible? Well, I do think that if we can talk about this as as something that we all share, that we're in an environment where public funding for higher ed is is shrinking, we have to really face this as an all hands on deck issue where um, in some cases, you know, I'm fortunate to be at an institution that has a strong endowment and that will, um, I believe, weather the the future, but many institutions are not. Um, and one of the examples that I looked at was, was Sweetbriar, which I believe shocked the, the nation, even though mm. a, num- a number of small privates are closing, but 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 shocked the nation because of the way that it shocked the faculty there mm. who didn't who didn't see it coming, and so I think when there are the you know there are um, dark forecasts ahead, it's really important that the conversations begin with what can we all do to preserve this institution that we value so highly. Well, you are the director for the Center for Writing and Public Discourse at Claremont McKenna. You're obviously a communication expert. And some contend that higher education seems to be losing their communication momentum. Any suggestions as to how to recapture that more generally? I definitely fall on the side of of higher ed as a public good. And that seems to be the crux of many of the public 
discussions about this, which is whether this is a, a private investment for individuals in, in their own future or whether it's a public investment for, for the good of society. Mm-hmm. And I think that we, you know, it, it's, it's certainly the case that it's a, a mix of both, but we really do fall on the side of, of, of performing public good. And you know, to the extent to which we can't reiterate that message, we're losing this battle, I believe. Mm. Um, the other thing that, that I think isn't really widely acknowledged is that that drop in public funding for higher ed. In, instead, what we're hearing from many politicians is that you know all education should be free, um, and at the same time, um, nobody should pay taxes, and at the same time, um, there's a lot of criticism of the the life of the mind or of the the um, the liberal arts within higher ed, and some idea that that what we really should be doing in higher ed is only um, turning people out into the job market. Forget the research agenda. Forget um, you know any sort of contemplative life at all. And I think we have to put all of these things together to say no we. We do perform a public good, and we need to speak more in public places about that. Spoken like a true communicator. Thank you. Thank you. you. Can you talk about your perspective as a faculty member? It's so great for us to have a faculty member on on the podcast. Typically, it's it's business officers. Um, But can you talk about your perspective on the economic or business model challenges faced by higher education as you see it from where you sit? Sure. And again, I'll I'll point to my experience traveling around for my American Council on Education Fellowship year Mm -hmm. and being able to see a variety of institutions that were that are quite different from my own. And what I I believe is that we're in a time where there is a lot of possibility for innovation, for thinking about new ways, for instance, to know, deliver education. And I know that, that there are many places like Arizona State that are that are going full in with on, online um, methodologies. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, that even though a place like mine, which is a small private, w- will never fully um, go to that model, we can learn quite a bit from the technologies that are being developed. And that, you know, as expensive as, as the technological disruptions have been, they've they've brought uh, sort of new questions to the table. And so even in my field, which is which is English lit, we can think about the online environment as a way of making information available that wasn't previously there. And so you know I think that that the um, the main point i would I would make is that that each of these things that that offer possibilities for innovation um, change the way that we think about the financial, picture for higher ed as well. So it's complicated. Well, it kind of goes back to your point earlier about faculty being involved and embracing innovation, because it sounds like at this juncture, everyone needs to do that in order to survive. Yeah, certainly we need to at least be open to the possibility that there are new ideas that could infuse our work. And, you know, I would say that that as as researchers, as scholars, we should be open to that. We're We should be interested in finding out what what new strategies might work better and that's that's that should be part of our lifelong learning um, disposition 
Well, you made reference to this earlier, but I'm going to ask you to pull out your crystal ball here. And again, as a faculty member, predict where you think the future of higher education will look like. And and maybe you can break it down into two sections, small private institutions like your own, and then more open access institutions. Where, where do you see each of those going? Well, the truth is the future is worrisome for the small private sector. And we're getting dire reports about the numbers of institutions that may close their doors in the, in the coming decade even. Mm-hmm. And so what I feel is that in, in terms of this idea that, that this needs to be an on, all hands on deck moment, that, that places that are more fiscally sound need to be looking to their sister organizations and, and seeing what, what we can do to help them think through some of these the, the, the problems that they might face, you know, particularly because I'm in Claremont, which is a consortium, I think quite a bit about the ways in which the, you know, we're, we're different organizations with different models, but we tend to, to be able to support one another um, as an aggregate. And um, I do believe that, that for the small privates, there will be more consortial moves made, that more um, small privates will band together and begin to share services and and try to you know march shoulder to shoulder forward rather than seeing one another as, as simply in competition mm. in the private sector we really do need to build the public trust again and 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 build up the public support for higher education or we're going to end up in a situation where we don't have the kind of access that we should have, that that that, that all um, levels of society should have to an education, which is a democratic ideal. And so, you know, I, I think that the future is worrisome, and this is why the kinds of conversations that that I'm advocating for need to take place. Because if we keep going in the way that we that we existed in, say, the 20th century, where faculty are a privileged class that are kept who are kept away from the the business realities of higher ed then we're going to fall into trouble i think and and it, it is worrisome such an important commentary i think it's probably so easy to get wrapped up in what's happening in your own campus in your own setting or maybe in your own smaller consortium and and not seeing that bigger picture as as a communications problem so that's a, it's such an interesting point Nakubo has conducted some focus groups internally, primarily with institutional administrators, and there's been a few challenges identified with faculty productivity, higher education government governance, as well as the lack of visionary leadership. Can you comment on these sort of challenges from a faculty perspective? I definitely think that one of the things that we've seen in from the faculty perspective in the last decade or so is a growing critique of the corporatization of mm. higher ed. Mm-hmm. Right? And that phrase, whether it's it's called neoliberalism or corporatization, tends to suggest that there is no business model, nor should there be a business model for higher ed. And to me, that we need to really translate back and forth uh, to one another so that there's a recognition that, you know, th- especially the, the large publics, but, but, but small privates also are, are indeed um, in need of, of economic models in order to succeed. They're huge budgets, right? And so if we can't think about higher ed and, and think about sustainable 
economic models, then again, we're going to be in trouble. And so I think part of part of the challenge has been has been this rhetoric of drawing lines between the the idea of the corporate, which which to be honest, faculty have seen a rise in the number of of staff the appointments and and there's there's a worry that that's where that's where the budget is going is toward these mm. staff appointments but at the same time uh, there needs to be a recognition that these are incredibly complicated organizations with with um regulatory requirements that 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 call for new appointments and we all need to take a look at where where is the money being spent and rather than just declaring that it's going in the wrong direction because we're seeing more staff appointments asking why they're there and and why do we need them which kind of goes back to your original point of having better discourse about what all all that's happening and priorities and all being informed in, in an educated way about what's happening yeah, absolutely, and I, I will say that in terms of of the the rhetoric piece of it, I know from from following the UC Riverside budget redesign process that a, a, an important part of the discussions involved translating, so that mm. you know that that the um, the consultants who came in and the and the executive officers would have conversations about you know what vocabulary can we use in order to keep this from becoming a hostile discussion. And and I, I think that there are some ways in which, for instance, if you if you begin to talk about, you know, making the business more efficient, making making um, choices to make programs run more efficiently, that, that tends to be a scary word because it implies cuts. But if you say we want to be more effective, um, that that may or may not you know any of this may or may not involve cuts but the the word goes down more easily because it's a it's a positive word rather than one that has negative implications i am coming from a a relatively privileged position at a place like claremont mckenna we tend to still be traditional in terms of the way that we set up our our teaching we don't have adjunct faculty and and i understand that that's a reality for many people in the in the public sector and so, you know, in thinking about these issues, I want to be clear that it, you know, some of the conversations that I'm talking about might seem like they would be easier at the small privates. And it turns out in the conversations that I've already begun to have that, that that's not necessarily so. So wherever we are, just starting to bridge that gate, that gap will be important because if we don't have these conversations, then then I think we just get more deeply entrenched and we work against the interests of these institutions that we value so highly. Thank you so much, Audrey, for sharing your perspective on such a challenging and important topic today. Really appreciate your your thoughts this morning. Thank you, Megan. You can find out more about today's episode by visiting the distance learning section of nakubo.org. Make sure you subscribe to Nakubo in brief in iTunes so that you'll get the latest episodes instantly. And on behalf of Audrey and myself, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Nakubo in Brief. Mm-hmm.